The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Today's buzz is social entrepreneurship. Yes, Virginia, good things do come in small packages, not only at this holiday season, but all year round. We're live today. It is Wednesday, December 12th. Let me tell you what wikipedia.org says about social entrepreneurship. Social entrepreneurship is the recognition of a social problem and the uses of entrepreneurial principles to organize, create, and manage a social venture to achieve a desired social change. We'll get into that more. I'm going to bring you four experts on this topic and we're going to learn together. First, we're going to be hearing from Alexandra Vanderplug and she's letting me call her Alex today. Alex says, donating money is easy. Volunteering in the traditional sense is easy, but is it effective? Corporate social responsibility should not be about philanthropy, but about leveraging capital, technology, or talent, and I think it's also and talent, to truly create an impact in the communities we work in and realizing that we can learn a great deal from innovations in those communities about agility, simplicity, and understanding the market. Alex knows what she's talking about. We'll be hearing from her in just a couple of minutes. We're also joined by Ann B. Evans, and Ann says simply, social entrepreneurship is love and respect in action. I think that should go on a holiday card. We'll talk to Ann about that in a moment. Patrick Furlong is with us, and he says, I believe in the importance of data and statistics, don't we all? But I also know that at the end of the day, it's the connection we feel to one another that moves us most strongly to act and make a positive and lasting difference in our communities. And finally, we're joined by Rob Henning. He says, get your team and strategy right so you as the entrepreneur can focus on thinking about how to grow your business and have a business plan. Without the right team and a clear understanding of the market, most people will take a pass on financing your business. That's from the perspective of getting people to believe in you. So join us for the next hour for Social Entrepreneurship, The Power of Small. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. It's almost the end of 2012. We're so happy to be here with you. I have a quick message for my listeners before I introduce our guests. Hey, your supply chain deserves real-time management. Is your business ready to deliver? If not, click the banner on our business channel page for a free ebook and learn about big data, why it's an opportunity in your supply chain and how you can get started. Okay. And please listen to us live. If you're listening, tweet us at hashtag SAP radio. Alex Vanderplug is in charge of management development for SAP Switzerland for the past three years. She has managed global CSR programs at SAP AG, developing and implementing the power of small competition. Welcome, Alex. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. Thank you, Bonnie. Nice to be here. 
Wonderful. Oh, I'm so happy you're joining me. We have a lot to talk about, and let's introduce the rest of the panelists. Ann B. Evans is VP for Global Strategic Resources at Ashoka and a member of the Ashoka Leadership Group. Ashoka seeks out social innovators all over the world without regard to the issue they're addressing, those with the highest integrity and entrepreneurial skills and the potential for scale at the social impact level are elected as Ashoka Fellows. We're going to find all about that. Anne, how are you today? Great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Thanks for joining me. Patrick Furlong is Director of Policy and Communication for InVenture. He is passionate about the intersection of storytelling and social change. Patrick, those are recurring topics here on SAP Game Changers Radio. InVenture unleashes the potential of developing entrepreneurs to lift themselves and their communities out of poverty by leveraging mobile technology, another favorite theme here, to create credit scores for unbanked individuals around the world. Welcome, Patrick. How are you today? Doing just fine. Happy to be here as well. Great. Glad to have you. And Rob Henning, OMG, is calling all the way from Rwanda. Rob is a partner and co-founder of ES Partnership based in Geneva, Switzerland. Rob advises corporate, government, and international donor clients on a range of entrepreneurial solutions for prosperity, including business strategy, SME finance, cluster and value chain competitiveness, and private sector development policy. How are you, Rob Henning? I'm doing great, Bonnie. It's great to be here. Wonderful. And you are calling all the way from Rwanda, and we're delighted that you're taking the time and made the effort to dial in today. So glad to have you on board. Let's go back into my introduction and ask each of my guests to tell us a little bit more about their quote. Alex, you said donating donating money is easy, volunteering in the traditional sense is easy, but is it effective? And then you talk about corporate social responsibility. What's wrong with donating and volunteering, Alex? We're all brought up to say, go out there and take the money out of your pocket and give it to somebody who needs it more. Volunteer until you drop. What's wrong with that? <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it at all. There's there's a time and place definitely for that. But, you know, I think as a, as a company, you can do better than that. Um, you know, basically, you have two ways of impacting the world as a business, by the services and products you offer, but obviously also through corporate social responsibility. And now you can keep your business strategy fairly distinct from your social engagement. And many companies do that. So basically, you don't really tie, um, you don't really have a direct connection to your business with your donations. Uh, and that's what I mean. I think that's the easy way out. Um, you know, I strongly believe that we can create a much bigger impact as a company on communities we work in by tying our social investments very closely to the business strategy. So closely, in fact, that you create shared value for society and the business. So in SAP's case, this basically means that we concentrate our social investments on entrepreneurship and on the power of small. Uh, And we do that because we believe that, especially in today's economic climate, entrepreneurs and small to medium-sized businesses make up the backbone of the economy, and it doesn't matter where that is. So just a few statistics. Mm-hmm. It's the SMEs that, you know, create 85% of new jobs in the EU over the past five years. And in South Africa, 80% of new jobs have been created by businesses with fewer than 50 workers. And I can pull similar statistics from all over the world. And then if you look at, you know, that SAP's customers make up 80% of our customers are today small and medium-sized businesses. And when mm-hmm. you consider that, you can really see the sense why we want to focus on helping entrepreneurs and small businesses. Alex, tell me just briefly, what is the competition called Power of Small? I love the yeah. name because it, it talks about what we're, what we're trying to do in our society everywhere is, is boost and give opportunity. So what is the meaning of the Power of Small competition? Yeah. 
Yeah, um, very easy. Basically, um, you know, we we this, this developed a very distinct program around strengthening entrepreneurship, and the power of small competition is one example of that. We ran that in partnership with Ashoka Changemakers, and we basically aimed uh, to source organizations that strengthen the infrastructure for entrepreneurs and small businesses, particularly in underserved communities. Um, we had that a competition running over the summer. We just closed it. We had over 370 entries from all over the world, mm. and the four winners um, have received a cash donation of 10,000 US dollars but on top of that they actually receive a technology donation from us and they also receive functional coaching and mentoring by SAP employees so that's how we really try to create impact you know we, we're not just offering capital we're offering also a technology and our know-how to really make a positive impact on these organizations and help them scale Wonderful. I love the whole idea. And it's so perfect that we're talking about this at the holiday season when people think, hopefully, outside of the box of their own shadow and into a, a bigger worldview. Let's get, we're almost out of time in this segment. We're running a little late. Ann Evans from Ashoka, tell us about social entrepre entrepreneurship, its love and respect in action. Tell me more, Ann. Well, it's really about the way many of these social entrepreneurs get started. You know, they're motivated. Uh, the love part, if you will, is mm -hmm. the motivation that comes from really deeply caring about uh, a problem that you see in society and to basically deciding that you can't live with that broken system. You've got to change it, and that's, that's really the love. And then the other part, the respect, is really deciding or just knowing inside yourself that everyone is important, that everyone in society deserves to have a better life. And so what we see is um, we elect as Ashoka Fellows these people who have these system-changing ideas that they've been usually motivated, motivated by a personal experience to mm -hmm. feel that they really need to change. But what we find, and this is where I think the power of small tie-in comes, is that we find that over half of these people, by the time they're five years out from their election as an Ashoka Fellow, they've increased access uh, for for people in their community to goods and services. They've created a new market. Uh, mm -hmm. They've created value where value didn't exist. They've generated income for the poor, or they've maybe even changed the flow of market information. So this love and respect is actually what generates an idea that's good for consumers in a given very specific community or a given uh, constituency group that that social entrepreneur has just been unable to, to see continue the way it was. Uh, so it's, it's a very interesting tie-in, and, and we find that these are the people who are actually driving a lot of the new ideas in society. And I want to segue quickly before we hit our first break to Patrick Furlong because your ideas go together. Patrick says, yes, I believe in the importance of data and statistics, but here's the kicker. I know that end of the, at the end of the day, it's the connection we feel to one another that moves us most strongly to act and make a positive and lasting difference in our community. That's the love, isn't it, Patrick, the love that Ann was talking about? Talk to me. Yeah, Bonnie, exactly. I was going to build on what Ann was saying and say I think you could take that idea that we apply to entrepreneurs there, but also apply it beyond the entrepreneurs to everyone else that we're working for in this ecosystem. So, I mean, both the clients we're working with, you know, the poor people on the ground, they want to see the data, they want to see the statistics that whatever we're saying we can provide them will work, but they also want to see that their neighbors have it. They want to see that success there. And I think also when we're looking at interacting with investors or donors or just really anybody out in that sphere, at the end of the day, people want to make sure that they feel connected to something. They want to see it works, and we need to show that. But in this world where technology has emerged 
so quickly, they also want to be able to see a face. They want to be able to connect the story and say, oh, this is what would happen if this mm -hmm. is successful. Okay, thank you, Patrick. I love where this is going. And, you know, when we come back, we're, we're at the break, running out of time here. We're going to hit the break, running, come back, and I'm going to ask all of my guests, what's in your coffee cup today? But, Rob Henning, we haven't forgotten you calling all the way from Rwanda. First of all, I can't wait to hear what you're drinking there. But second of all, Rob's perspective is going to be on from on the side of the entrepreneur who's looking for investors, who's looking for support, who's looking for a community to gather around them, as in, for example, the power of small competition. How do you get your plan together, get your team together, and know what you're doing before people will believe in you? So when we come back with our second segment of Coffee Break with Game Changers, we'll start with Coffee Break, and then we'll go right to Rob Henning. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Don't even think for one little tiny second of touching that app. We're going to put some love in your heart and talk about the power of small. Brad, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The world of finance is complicated at times and continues to be that way. How do you know if the decisions you're making today will be the right ones for tomorrow? Now, you've got a guy in finance. Host James Butler aims to make these decisions less complicated by spelling out the intentionally vague banking terms into a language that you can better understand. We'll also explore some real-world cases that can keep you from making the same mistakes others have made. You've got a guy in finance is heard live Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we, here we are, and it's time to talk about what's in my guest cup today. So, Alex Vanderplug, you're calling from Germany, I understand. What's in your cup today, Alex, and what time is it there? Well, it's about 20 past 5, and um, 
you know, I wish I could say something different, but I have a very weak cup of coffee in front of me um, with a dash of milk. It's not very exciting. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Well, it's almost time for cocktail hour, so you can have something more exactly. more interesting after the show. <laughs> Anne, Anne Evans, where are you calling from today, and what's in your cup, Anne? I'm in the Washington, D.C. area, and loving this wonderful peppermint mocha that I have here. It's just just the right thing for the holidays. <laughs> Wonderful. That sounds very festive. Thank you, Ann. Patrick Furlong, where are you today? So I am in Los Angeles, California. It's about 8.20 a.m. here and really, really need a cup of coffee, but at the moment just have a cup of water in front of me. Is, is it tap water? Is it special water? Give me a little romance here, Patrick. What kind know, of water is it? I should have a little more romance coming from L.A., but it's just tap water and nothing else. Okay, if that's what you say so. And Rob Henning, what's going on in Rwanda and what's in your cup? I'm expecting something amazing from you today, Rob. And I won't disappoint. So I'm basically sitting here overlooking a bunch of tea fields at a, at a mountaintop uh, tea plantation and factory. So we've been drinking sort of tea, very high-quality tea that's, that's both grown and processed here. So that's what I've been drinking all day. Um, I started out with a cup of coffee that was also grown and produced here in, in Rwanda, very high-quality high Arabica coffee. So I'm doing pretty well in terms of the, the stuff that's in my cup today. Wonderful. And you have to tell us, what brings you to Rwanda? We're, we're all curious. It's an interesting place to be right now. Why are you there, and how long are you there for, Rob? Uh, I'm here because Rwanda is one of the priority markets for, for my company, Yes Partners, and we, work, we have a, a broad variety of clients here. We work for uh, our clients are both in government, international donors, and also entrepreneurs, so private companies. So I'm here to sort of advance a few projects that we have, meet some new clients, uh, meet with our team that's on the ground here. Um, and I'm only here for about a week. I arrive here Monday night. I leave on, I leave on Saturday. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're taking the time to join us because this is very interesting. And since we didn't get to you in the first segment, I want to go into a deep dive into your quote you sent me, Rob. You talk about, uh, let me see here, you talk about how the entrepreneur has to have their team right, their understanding of the market. They have to have a business plan. This sounds like a lot of work to me. I know we're talking about having the love for a community, wanting to make a social change, but doing it in a business way where people will believe in you support you, gather around you, and invest in you. So what's the burden on the entrepreneur to become a successful social entrepreneur from your POV, Rob Henning? Um, for us, from both my personal and professional perspective, I think what is, what's key in, this, in, the, in developing social enterprises and just even for-profit enterprises that have a social aspect to them and have an aim to have social impact and solve big social problems such as you know, education, housing, sanitation, um, health care, all of these kinds of issues that we find in, in developing countries. I think the, what we found over, over the past few years and in my career is that the most, the most effective way to do this is through business. But it's through, you know, not just sort of extractive, irresponsible businesses, through responsible business, through visionary, visionary business, and the entrepreneurs that have the vision to actually see, problem, see problems, but then see business opportunities behind them, and to use business as the lever to actually address these problems, solve them, yes, make some money, but have huge social impact in a sustainable way. Um, mm -hmm. And going back to my quote, Yes. I think once, once you have an entrepreneur with a very compelling vision, people literally chase that entrepreneur with all kinds of money to basically invest in their business, 
make it grow and sort of increase the impact, increase the scale. But without that sort of vision and strategy and sort of team in place, it becomes very difficult to raise capital because no one has any faith that the, the money will go anywhere and become sort of a survival trap. So this is, that was sort of the, 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 the interest behind my quote around saying, okay, listen, put some thought into the vision and the strategy and get your team together before you go out, go out and asking for money, which is typically what most entrepreneurs will sort of go out and ask for and say is their sort of key challenge in, in terms of growing their business. Thank you, Rob. I want to ask Ann B. Evans to chime in here from the perspective of Ashoka. You say Ashoka seeks out social innovators all over the world. Here's the key I want to talk about, Ann, without regard to the issues they are addressing. So if we talk about their heart is in the right place, regardless of the issue, now do you get into some dicey areas where your board might say, hmm, I don't know, is this socially responsible, is this a good direction? So there's no editorializing about what they tell you. Talk, Talk to me, Ann. How does that work? Well, the key starting point for us is the whole question of social impact because that's that's mm-hmm. really why Ashoka exists. It's really to drive forward people who have these great ideas. And so someone would never even make it to our board if they didn't have a great idea for social impact that was really necessary and that was a new idea. So the way we have really refined our criteria over about 30 years is that um, our knockout test is is that new idea with important social impact. And then we're looking for the person who has only the highest ethical fiber, who's got amazing entrepreneurial skills and a great strategy that can take that idea up to where we can see the potential at least for it to have national level or continental level impact. So that's how we're really screening these ideas, and if if there's anything that's uh, suspect, it's pretty much weeded out very early on. One of the things that I think is an interesting distinction, just playing off of what Rob was just saying, is mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of these ideas actually will become businesses, mm-hmm. but the other role that they play is they also offer ideas for business. And I think that um, this is one of the things we see about social entrepreneurs is that it, it's not necessary, I think, just to look at them as, you know, it's, it's only a good idea if it can be sustained by being a business. But very often you'll see ideas that, that can generate um, understandings that, that people haven't seen before about how um, an, a, a system can work. So, for example, um, we have people who are working in, you know, agricultural extension systems. Now, the person running this system he's a, is a guy named uh, Rick and Gandhi, and he has a thing called Digital Green in India. He's produced over 2,400 videos that have been viewed by 120,000 farmers in India, and, and 48% of the farmers adopt the practice that he has in his video that's a new, better practice. So wow. what he's doing is actually working on the whole system so that all of these small business people can be more effective. Um, and there are a number of people like that who are really nurturing other entrepreneurs. And we consider them as much an important part of the system as, as the entrepreneurs themselves. Very interesting. I want to turn to Patrick. Uh, Patrick, I know that you spent two years working in the nonprofit sector in Chile, Bolivia, Ecuador. You also worked in the city of Los Angeles in charge of city year operations in Boyle Heights, and that's in East L.A., and it is a low-income community. So you've been in the trenches. What has this taught you about the kinds of people who get these social entrepreneurship ideas, Patrick? What did you see in your travels? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things to look at there. I mean, I think first what Rob was talking about is right on about trying to get the right team in place and how much Mm -hmm. of a challenge that can always be. And so I think we've seen that in our own journeys of sometimes, you know, you get the core team in place 
And then you realize, oh, there's all these other components as we grow that, you know, we need to think about very strategically and deliberately. In terms of what I saw on the ground, I mean, I think it goes back to Anne's quote about love and respect. It's definitely Mm -hmm. the motivating place for you. When you're on the ground and you're seeing firsthand what's going on, you're very motivated to get out there and address those issues. But I think what oftentimes surprises people, you know, if they are coming from the developing world and going into that context is the number of great ideas that really are going to come from the folks on the ground themselves. I think a lot of times we have this misdirected approach in development that says, oh, we need to bring the Western ideas here. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. But really, there's all these great ideas there just waiting to be taken advantage of. And so it's really trying to get on the ground and get in tune and listen to what are some of the ideas folks have here, but maybe they've just got some barriers or roadblocks in their way, and we can help remove those barriers and roadblocks to really help their ideas flourish. Thank you, Patrick. I'm going to throw out a question to the entire panel, Alex and Ann and Patrick and Rob. What happens when a social entrepreneurship idea is so popular, takes hold so well, gets such traction that big company wants to take it over, that a board of directors says, oh, that would look good on our social profile. It would make our company look good. Not bad intentions, mind you, but they want to, for example, I think uh, Patrick is westernize it. They want to change the culture. They want to come in, put some big money behind it. Is that a good thing or is that the wrong thing? Anybody can jump in at this point. Who wants to take it? Um, maybe I'll start because uh, we are the company representative, okay, rep- representative here, but I think it's actually the wrong idea. Um, you know, there's there's no way that you can have as a company, you can have the same understanding and knowledge that the social entrepreneur mm-hmm. has from the local market. Absolutely no way. Um, so what you can do, and I think what any sensible company would do in that in that um, in that respect, is to enter a partnership with the social entrepreneur that you actually work together and create mutual benefits for each other. Um, but taking over the social idea, trying to change it to suit your own um, purposes, I think that's absolutely the wrong way to go about it. And, you know, anybody who is serious about um, social responsibility and working in communities um, will keep their fingers from that, I think. And good I can, good I point. Can Very well spoken. And please, yeah, please just, do. Just to build on Alex's point, um, one of the things we've seen, and, and to take it down at, at sort of in, in one example, uh, with one of the Ashoka fellows who's working in the field of nutrition, he has a highly, highly marketable uh, new innovation that basically makes it so that a nutritional product can be rapidly absorbed by the body. It's a hugely important innovation for people in, say, sub-Saharan Africa. And it doesn't require refrigeration. So it, it stands to have mm. potentially enormous um, market success. Um, but he is really, really keen on ensuring that this product um, is, is continuing to be provided at a reasonable price. And so as he's looked and talked with in, impact investors, he, he has found that there are some people who are trying to pressure him to, you know, to raise the price or to um, get a little bit away from his central mission, which is to solve the problem of nutrient um, uh, absence in, in so much of the food that people do have access to. And so one of the things he's done is restructured his company so that he has A shares and B shares, and the A shares have voting rights over the mission, and the B shares um, have a participation, of course, in the, in the well-being of, of the company, but don't have the, the right to change and vote um, for a change in mission. And so we're finding some very interesting innovations among the, the social entrepreneurs who are working in space where they do have um, a potentially lucrative product, 
but mm-hmm. they are protecting their social mission with some innovative structures. Good, and we're going to talk about that when we come back. I also want to dive into the role of technology in emerging markets. How is it helping to connect the developed world and the developing world? And then, of course, we can't talk about technology without talking about the power of mobile in advancing development. These are all points near and dear to Patrick Furlong and the rest of my panel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Think about what we're talking about today. Might give you some good ideas. Don't just give money or volunteer. Think about helping to support social entrepreneurship in a community or a country near and dear to you. Don't even think of touching that app right now. We'll be right back in 54 seconds. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we're back, and it's time to talk tech. We want to talk about the role of technology in emerging markets. How is it connecting developed and developing? What about the power of mobile? Patrick Furlong from, hey, InVenture, talk to me. What's your feeling about the value of technology to, is there a culture shock? How fast can they adopt and adapt? Talk to me. Yeah, I mean, that's the entire reason we're in existence, obviously, is mobile technology. I mean, that's where Mm -hmm. my company focuses, and so... I think the first thing people have to take and they sometimes struggle to realize is that when you talk about mobile cell phone penetration rates, it's just growing exponentially in the developing world. You know, so in the United States when everyone was lining up to get iPhone fives a couple months ago, that's not their first phone. You know, it's something that people have had phones for a number of years now. It's a phone to replace a phone. But in the developing world we're seeing more and more people get access to cellular technology and we're seeing the ways that they can take that and use it beyond just calling and texting, but really make it a tool for agriculture, a tool for health, a tool for economic development, things of that nature. And so on one hand, you've got them coming into people's hands pretty quickly, but I think we do see a struggle Mm -hmm. where, you know, you might make an assumption like, oh, okay, we can create a text messaging program, but you have to take a step back and realize, you know, a number of these people are now maybe in their 40s, 50s, getting access to a phone for the first time. Texting is not something Mm -hmm. that's going to come naturally to them. And so for us, the first part of our financial strategy is actually, okay, if we're going to do financial inclusion and financial literacy, class one is about texting and really just showing people, here's how you do this, here's how you send the numbers, et cetera. And so I think that's a role that every social entrepreneur has to balance right now is 
The technology is there, but the education isn't. And we're really excited to move with the technology, but sometimes forget the education that's necessary to accompany it. Are people excited about this technology, Patrick? Do they say, wow, I saw somewhere in a movie or a poster this thing called a cell phone with people's thumbs going click, 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 click. I want to do that, too. Is there this this childlike uh, innocence, like, teach me now? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's one of the challenging things. You know, when I was in Ecuador, I never anticipated that I'd actually have to be creating rules with some of my, you know, students who are street children about not having cell phones out. And that same obsession you see with teenagers here, mm-hmm. you see with teenagers in that market, but also adults. It's a new novelty for them. And I think yes. we do sometimes look at technology as we now have all these great ways to really get connected to the developing world, but we forget that it works the opposite way. And it also means the developing world now more than ever can view the style of life that people have around the world and ask about that and ask about if it's something that's accessible for them. And that creates some good moral implications for us. Very good. And, Rob Henning, I want to talk to you, and I, I want to also mention that you did work for the Peace Corps in West Africa. You supervise microcredit and small enterprise development programs in Benin and Guinea-Conakry. I hope I didn't butcher the pronunciation there. But talk to me about the role of technology and what you're doing with ES Partners, Rob. How do you bring it to the right people at the right place at the right time, and how do they afford it? It's expensive to have technology. Uh, okay, so I think uh, maybe I'll start with your second point. I think the, the technology is not actually expensive. I think when you call, come to a country like okay. Rwanda, Haiti, almost anywhere in Africa and anywhere in sort of the, 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 the poor countries in Asia, almost everyone has a cell phone. Or you walk around and you see a huge proportion of the, of the population with a cell phone basic connectivity. The way they can afford it is they buy a very cheap handset. I mean, China is pumping on handsets that, you know, when you walk through the airport in Haiti, you can buy a handset for, you know, $12 or so at the airport. Very inexpensive, very basic, but it, it works. It allows you to do texting. It allows you to do voice, sort of voice, voice calls. In addition, what people typically do is they pay, you know, per minute. You, they do a prepaid card in very small increments. So they can pay, you know, $0.10 cents or $0.50 cents, uh, equivalent in U.S. dollars for just a few minutes of their time to sort of text their friends or text their family in the U.S. Um, but that, that small investment allows them to sort of transform their lives, and in the case of small entrepreneurs, their businesses. So, you know, the, the classic case is with, you know, motorcycle taxis all over the developing world. With a, with a cell phone, all of a sudden they're connected to their clients, so they have a, good, a client has a good experience with them. Instead of never seeing them again, they now have a regular mm-hmm. client that will call them or text them and say, hey, come pick me up. This, this really sort of opens up the world to these entrepreneurs in a number of different ways. Um, I think in terms of how this technology works, I think there is a fantastic example from the power of small competition with, uh, with Flashcast. This is a, basically a, a, a geo-targeted advertising platform. Basically, mm-hmm. The basic idea is you put LED screens in sort of the public buses in Nairobi, the targeted sort of low-income to middle-income consumers. And what can happen is they, they propose very reasonable packages to micro and small businesses that allow these businesses to basically target their advertising to these buses that are going by. So, so imagine you're going through downtown Nairobi. There's a little restaurant that's maybe a block or two off the main road. They can say, hey, come by our, you know, come by our, our restaurant for you know, a, a lunch special today at a very aggressive price and you know, great food and everything else. You know, for a couple dollars a month, 
this is a, this is an advertising platform that wasn't available to this time kind of business until until very recently. And Flashcast is just scaling up. I think they are having some, you know they're sort of having growing pains trying to figure out the model. But the idea that the technology can leapfrog and basically serve micro and small businesses is super interesting. I think it's applicable to many many different cases in the developing world. Very interesting, and I, I want to take this technology discussion over to Ann B. Evans at Ashoka. I know you now have over 3,000 of what you call the Ashoka Fellows. What's the role, what's the feeling of these people about technology impacting their role as social entrepreneurs, Ann? Well, it's absolutely fundamental. Everything from open source um, kinds of technologies that are in- enabling people to co-develop things online. Uh, you know, Wiki- Wikipedia, for example, is an Ashoka fellow, uh, Jimmy Wales. Um, and so, you know, innovations al- along that those lines have been very fundamental um, in the changes in our society of late. Um, you see everything from games um, that are used to help um, people in rural villages manage maternal health questions, you know, as they go through different cycles of the development of the fetus, they can understand from their phone uh, and from a game they can play what is happening with the fetus and what kind of care they need to be giving for themselves to be sure that the healthy child is born. Um, AIDS education is done as a game with children on cell phones. Uh, it's amazing uh, some of the things you see. Um, and also, um, I think we're even seeing some reverse innovation, uh, which, is re- which I would say is really when the developing world brings innovation to the developed world. Um, I think a great example really struck me when I was in Kenya. Um, I'll never forget the first time I realized that we were in for a very, very different world was in 2004, and I was working uh, with the Samburu people in northern Kenya and saw, um, you know, little kids who were goat herders with a cell phone um, on the, uh, the rope around their waist. And uh, it's a pretty amazing sight to see when four years before there had been no sign of any sort of cell coverage in that region. And you can see in northern Kenya there's basically no banking system. But by 2008, Mm -hmm. uh, I believe it was, if I've got my dates right, uh, an organization uh, called Impesa uh, was created, which basically allowed payments to be made by cell phone. Now we find that Payments by cell phone are something that only are now beginning to appear in the United States. So, you know, Kenya's been using it for for probably four or five years. Um, And and I think this kind of thing is happening around the world where we see health diagnostics, I think, are going to follow some of the same path. Um, We're seeing a lot of of really great health diagnostic tools being put into the hands of people who are not professional in the sense of having gone to medical school or nursing school, but they're well-trained community health workers, and they can augment the kind of medical care that is available to people around the world. And and I think that's another trend that we're going to see moving, uh, moving toward the developed world as well. Very interesting. I, I want to move back to Alex Vanderplug. Alex, I want to ask you about the, a little more about the power of small competition. How many years has it been running? And what I'm really interested in is have you seen a change in the DNA of the applicants? You mentioned you had uh, 370 applications this past time. Uh, have you seen the applicants becoming younger or older? Have you seen an influx of applications from parts of the world this year that you didn't see before? Give us a little bit of, of history of what what are you seeing? What's the trend in new social entrepreneurs? Alex? Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think when it comes to giving you a history on competitions, Anne would probably be more suitable because the, okay. uh, the competitions are run on the Ashoka Changemaker platform, and they've been doing it for the past five years. SAP five years. has really only done this competition um, once now throughout mm-hmm. the summer, um, in honor really of our 40th anniversary as well, uh, which we just celebrated this year. But yes. um, there was one thing that struck me, um, that, and I know that this was different than it was in other competitions. We saw a huge amount of applications from Africa. Um, just as an example, we had out of the 370, we had 89 applications from Africa. Of the 11 finalists that the judges panel chose, that Rob Henning was part of as well, mm-hmm. um, we had six finalists from Africa. And amongst the four winners, two of the winners were from Africa. And that wow. was definitely different than it's ever been in any other competitions. Um, and I think it's a very interesting fact, and I think it speaks to the to the innovation and the in the energy that is uh, going on in Africa um, around the whole topic of entrepreneurship. And I'm sure Rob has a few things to say about that as well. You answered me perfectly. That's exactly what I was looking for, and I did a little bit of quick math. We went from math from about 22% of the original batch all the way up to 50% of the winners. That's a wow. That's a, a winning combination. Rob, talk to us. Why? Where is this energy coming from in terms of social entrepreneurship in Africa? What's going on? What's going on in Africa? I mean, I think there are probably, let's see, I guess there are probably three Three trends that are sort of move that are helping sort of Africa be better represented in, in some of these markets. I think, you know, for a long time, I think Asia, you know, specifically India, was a hotbed for social entrepreneurship. I think a lot of a lot of the models migrated also the thinking. So that's the first thing. I think it's just you know there's a, there's been you know people have been looking at looking from Africa over to India and saying, okay, listen. There's some things going on here. There's a trend between social entrepreneurship. There's some business models at work. Can we bring it in here? Um, second, I think overall the the African market is developing. I think you see, you know, in the Economist, there's the you know cover about Africa rising. There's there's mm-hmm. books and articles coming out out all the time about you know the middle class emerging. This creates business opportunities, especially for the base of the pyramid. Um, base of the pyramid meaning, you know, basically the, the lower income populations, which makes up the bulk of the, of the population in most countries in Africa. What it takes, what I think serving these markets, at least initially, is very well suited to social entrepreneurship because they can play with, you know, listen, we're providing services to people that maybe normally can't afford it. But I think in my, it's my belief that once these, these, these business models are proven, they should be scaled and sort of converted over to more of a commercial for-profit venture, going back to your question from a, a mm-hmm. few minutes ago. I think there are yes. interesting ways that companies can come in, like larger companies can come in and invest. So I think that's the second thing. There's, there's just more business opportunities available. Um, Very interesting. Third I, think the, third, I think they're more sort of facilitators. I think people like Ashoka, I think a lot of the international donors, um, a lot of private foundations, have become very interested in sort of fostering entrepreneurship, and they see entrepreneurship as the only sustainable way to actually create uh, to create change and create impact in in Africa. And I think that's just the trend that that's that's the way sort of Africa sort of last the last frontier, uh, you know, the sort of South Asia sort of moving, Latin America sort of moving, Africa sort of like the the last place where you know people are applying resources and actually investing in some of these business models. 
bringing up the rear. Thank you, Rob. You know, we're at our final break, and when we come back, we'll have an opportunity to hear what Alex and Ann, Patrick and Rob have to say when they look into their crystal ball. What will social entrepreneurship look like, be like, feel like? How big will it be? How evolved will it be in the year 2017, five years from today? I'm going to ask them to polish off that crystal ball while we go to our final break. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll be right back. 54 seconds. Count them kids brad out the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers And here we are. It's time for the Crystal Ball segment. We're going to talk about social entrepreneurship in 2017. How good will the love and respect in action be? How good will the mobility be? The other technologies, who will be on the ground doing these ideas? Who will be helping them? Let's kick this discussion off with Alex Vanderplug from SAP. Alex, five years from now, social entrepreneurship. Talk to me. You know, in some ways, five years is a very long time, especially in the IT sector where I'm from. But considering the obstacles that some markets face, it's, again, not very long at all. Uh, But here are two things that I see happening. Um, One, digital inclusion and access to information, which we talked about. You know, overall, you know, we will probably face some of the same challenges that we have today, but there will be significant changes brought about by digital inclusion and technology. Access to information, mobile reachability, Technology which becomes much more affordable by the day. All of that will speed up innovation, and that has the potential to create economic development also for markets that we today consider to be base of the pyramid. And then secondly, um, I really believe that learning and know-how sharing will be a two-way street. You know, today, um, companies in established markets could already learn a thing or two about innovation, simplicity, and customer orientation from entrepreneurs in uh, base of the pyramid markets. Um, And when I look at the challenges that we face today in Europe, like massive youth unemployment in many southern European countries, I believe that in five years' time, we will flip a few things on its head, and we will be discussing how to bring the expertise and know-how of entrepreneurs from emerging and base of the pyramid markets to established players so they learn about innovation, agility, and resilience in difficult markets. Thank you, Alex. Very well put. Let's turn to Ann B. Evans, VP for Global Strategic Resources at Ashoka and a member of the Ashoka Leadership Group. Look ahead five years, Ann. What do you think? 
Well, I think one of the things is Alex put her finger on a number of the forces that are driving uh, real progress in in our whole world of sort of change making, if you will. Um, we, you know, you look at the situation and really the, there are plenty of problems to go around. But one of the things that we see is that there are more and more solution makers, if you will. Um, and I do believe that this, this a whole idea of information access and learning exchange is going to be huge. So for me, I would say I think we're going to be seeing a lot of the kind of brokering of connections, uh, the kind of being able to find each other more easily. I think that business and social entrepreneurs are in the process of learning now how to work together. Uh, and they're going to be taking various forms. People are going to be building businesses together, but I also think business is going to get ideas for business from social entrepreneurs. I think that social entrepreneurs are going to be interpreting big business to smaller consumer markets uh, and even smaller business markets as well, uh, and they're going to serve an intermediary role as well. And then, of course, I think there'll be more investment from big players into mm-hmm. small business because they understand that's where the growth is going to come and where there's sort of a natural agility, as uh, as Alex said. So one of the key things that's going to make all that possible is I think there's almost going to be, uh, if you will, almost an open pipeline of opportunities that people can tap into. Mm-hmm. We see that as uh, we're, we're developing things in that regard. It's one of the things our changemakers team is thinking hard about: uh, is how do you how do you create a way to broker these connections more easily and give different players who are working on the same kinds of challenges um, access to information about one another and about what they're trying and what's working. Um, this is something that um, the the people who were in the competition, the power of small, said loud and clear to us is, you know, we need to be able to talk to one another. Um, we need to be part of the same community. And that's something that, w- that we see um, developing as a, as a key tool for getting all this digital inclusion and information access to really work. Thank you, Ann Evans. Let's turn to Patrick Furlong, Director of Policy and Communication for InVenture. We didn't have a chance to talk about storytelling, but I think we've been telling some really good stories here. Patrick, what's in your crystal ball? Yeah, you know, the blessing and the curse of going after Alex and Ann is they've taken most of the good ideas I was going to talk about. (laughs) Um, You know, I would definitely just kind of build on that idea of a social entrepreneurship community. Right now, it's kind of a buzzword, Mm -hmm. and people are still struggling to just grasp what exactly is a social entrepreneur who's in that community, and I think we're going to see an emergence of that community yes. more. I think the work at the base of the pyramid, particularly in Africa, is going to be where we're going to see the most movement over the next five years. I think we're moving to a really exciting point where we're no longer just looking at the base of the pyramid as some place that needs development and aid, but we're looking at it as a market, and we're looking at it as some place that really has the potential to grow in that respect while still having a huge social impact. But I also think, you know, that'll be one of the challenges we have over the next five years is social enterprises are still businesses. And so I think more and more Mm -hmm. we're going to see an emergence of folks struggling to balance really their social mission with that mission they have and that role they have to make a profit for their investors and other folks. And so I think that's going to be something really interesting to watch over the next few years is how do we balance that mission as well as that need to really be a business and to make a profit. Very well put. Thank you, Patrick. Good perspective. Rob Henning, last but not least, partner and co-founder of ES Partners based in Geneva. What do you see five years from now from your interesting perspective today in Rwanda? Rob, go. 
I mean, I think I, I generally agree with the with the rest of the with the rest of the the, the participants. I think basically what you're going to see is that the cost of technology is coming down. At the same time, um, you have the ability to. At the same time, what we saw in the the competition, the power of small competition, was that some of the most interesting business models were very very specific, very targeted. Take for example, Flashcast, Inventor's microcredit scoring system via SMS was super interesting. So I see this sort of very targeted business strategy combined with technology creating a lot of value for the base of the pyramid. And I see a lot of innovation and a lot of sort of, let me say, let me say healthy competition among social entrepreneurs to bring, these, to bring a, a wide variety of services in education, in, um, in basic business services to the base of the pyramid via technology and via some, very, some business models that we can't even quite imagine yet. So that's, that's where I would go with it. Thank you very much, Rob. And I have a quick question. I'm going to give you, we have two minutes left. I need one minute selfishly to myself to close the show. I'm going to give you each 10 seconds. If somebody listening wants to find out about social entrepreneurship and what's going on in any particular country or part of the world, where would they go to find out how they could invest or support in some way? Alex, quick, where would they go? Well, I mean, Ashoka, the Ashoka website is definitely one place to go to. Um, Endeavor is another place. Um, and I definitely also think that the website from ES Partners is a great place uh, to find information about um, entrepreneurship in developing markets. Thank you. Anne, I guess we've already mentioned the Ashoka website. Is there anything else you want to add really fast? Yeah, on, on our website, I would suggest you look at Invest in Innovation. We have a site where you can go and see some of the newly elected Ashoka Fellows, and Ashoka is essentially acting as an uh, angel investor, and you can help us by uh, investing with us in some of these fellows. Beautiful. Patrick, real fast, where would people go from your perspective? Real quick. Yep, I'm going to give a shout-out to Ann and Ashoka. I think it's a great starting point with many places to launch from there. <laughs> Okay, and Rob, I'm just going to assume you're going to second the motion because I need the rest of the time to close the show. I want to thank my special guest, but first I want to tell you what's coming up next week. Have I got a show for you? December 19th and December 26th, the next two Wednesdays, we'll be doing our annual Game Changers prediction shows, and believe it or not, I'm expecting 30 guests over those two weeks. Yep, we're going to do fast and furious predictions on technology, strategies, trends, tools, people, communities. You never know what you're going to here, but these will be two don't dare miss these shows. So it'll be the 2013 prediction shows, part one on December 19th, part two on December 26th. Yes, I can handle 15 people an hour. So can Brad, our trusty engineer. I want to thank our special guests today, Alex Vanderplug, Ann B. Evans, Patrick Furlong, Rob Henning, for your insights, your wonderful opportunity, giving us the opportunity to learn more about social entrepreneurship. And thank you all for your great work. Wishing you all a happy holiday. Thank you also to Patricia Harris, Anka Rebel, Malcolm, feel better, our chief tweeter and co-producer, and the Business Channel team. Enjoy your SAP mugs. Those of you looking for some goodies, go to our Game Changer resource pages, spr.ly forward slash game dash changers. Got a whole bunch of freebies for you. And last but not least, wishing all of you a happy holiday. But here we go. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham for SAP Radio Game Changers with coffee break thrown in. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. 
Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.